Hello, I'm Blair Lemke. Welcome to Let God Speak. Ever since pride originated in the heart of Lucifer, sin has plagued the universe, causing pain and suffering. Ultimately, God promises to bring eternal peace to our troubled world and through Christ offers to free us from sin, pride and self-exaltation. Our Bible study today will reveal this. On our panel today, we have Terry Johnson and Gilberto Diaz. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. As we always do, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today for the opportunity that we have to study your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to lead, to guide us and to teach us the truths of your word. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, gentlemen, today we continue a study series that we've been going on through the book of Isaiah. Uh, it's been a real blessing going through the book of Isaiah. Uh, and today we start in Isaiah chapter 13. Uh, and so I'm going to invite uh, us to turn to our Bibles, Isaiah 13 here. And I'm going to read Isaiah 13 verse 1 uh, to start our study off together today. Isaiah 13 verse 1, we read, The burden against Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. Okay, interesting first text. Um, I want to throw this question to you, Gilberto, uh, and I want to ask what the significance is uh, of Isaiah being named here as the author of this book, um, you know, straight away there in verse 1. Hmm. Uh, this uh, parallels the introduction we have to the book of Isaiah <clears throat> and marks the beginning of a new section of, of the book. Now, chapters 13... <clears throat> excuse me, to 23, contain messages of judgment against various nations surrounding Israel who are oppressing God's people and living wickedly. You know, that's really interesting that you'd point that out because, um, you know, already we have Isaiah earlier on in the chapter introduced as the author of the book, but here uh, starting a new section with, with, um, with judgments on the surrounding nations. Terry, I want to throw this question to you. Uh, we see here that uh, the first judgment is mentioned here, or this is the burden against Babylon, verse 1 says. Yeah. Uh, I want to I ask the question, why do we have uh, this prophecy here against the nations? Why do they start with the nation of Babylon uh, and not Assyria, which of course was the prominent nation at the time uh, that was troubling God's people? Why starting here with Babylon and not Assyria? I think God was actually looking at the history of, of Israel, recognizing that they hadn't really learned from Assyria and Sennacherib coming and attacking, mm. you know, during Hezekiah's time. And, and God was actually seeing all the way to the year 605 BC and recognizing that there was going to be more pain and sorrow for the people of Israel to actually have to go through before they would truly humble themselves and realize the depth of their need. Their arrogance had gotten so strong mm. and Hezekiah as a king was actually using that arrogance and, and speaking out on behalf of how powerful Israel was compared to the 
nations around, and he thought the victory against Assyria was actually giving him that credibility. But God was clearly trying to say that there was more to the story of surrender that was needed. That's, that's very powerful. And, you know, I think as well we see that um, down the track, as, as, and we're going to see that as we study today, down the track, Babylon became a superpower uh, in the region and, of course, was, uh, became the most prominent threat after Assyria to God's people. And so uh, we see here God dealing with Babylon uh, as we start this section of judgments off. Uh, now, let's read here. Uh, we're not going to take the time to read the whole chapter, although it would be such a blessing. Uh, but to get through uh, our program today, let's read uh, just a couple of verses here that highlight uh, some of the judgments that are spoken of here in Isaiah 13. So in Isaiah 13, uh, notice here what God's word says in verse 9. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the star, uh, and then jumping down to verse 11 there, uh, it says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud. Mm. Uh, interesting that you pointed out proud, uh, prideness and arrogance earlier on, Terry. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Uh, now, Gilberto, I want to throw this question to you. Uh, this is some, um, you know, quite graphic description here of judgments. Um, why do, what, what does this, these verses tell us about the terrible nature of sin uh, and evil? Hmm. God's wrath is just God's love in uh, how it relates to sin. God's love cannot permit indefinitely what, uh, that which threatens it. Ultimately, God is in self-sacrificing love, takes his wrath against sin upon himself in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross so that those who accept his love never have to experience it. Hmm. Yeah, so we see, we, we definitely see, you know, there is this tension in Scripture over, you know, how does a God of love reconcile with a God of wrath? Uh, you know, how do we bring this together in Scripture? Uh, but I, I really like that point you've brought out there that God's wrath is just God's love in how it relates to sin. Mm. Uh, and God is, um, you know, can't permit those things that, that seek to threaten love itself. Um, now, you know, as we think about that, it highlights for us that, of course, sin uh, is obviously, by nature of the fact that it's been dealt with quite harshly here, is something that is not a very good thing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it separates us from God. It's something that causes us, um, you know, to, uh, to ultimately have death, Scripture tells us. And so uh, it's something serious here that, that God wants to give a message of warning to help us avoid it from kind of going down that track. Now, I want to throw this one to you, Terry. You mentioned earlier on this idea of um, arrogance and pride. And even in that text there, it brought it out. Um, why are pride and arrogance such dangerous sins? Uh, why are these sins so hard to put behind us? Yeah, I think it's a very good question. I think it comes down to the heart of what sin really is. Sin is about looking at myself and thinking that I am fine, that there's nothing wrong with me, and that my judgment is greater and better than anybody else's judgment. So it's always about me, no matter what I'm thinking of. And when we're looking at Isaiah chapter 13 uh, and verse 19, there's this little section that says, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonian was their pride. Mm -hmm. And it'll be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. And when we think about how Sodom and Gomorrah were actually destroyed, 
God made sure that there was a way for people to actually get out. And I think it, it really reflects well on the grace of God to show how caring he is that he told uh, uh, Abraham that even if there was 10 righteous people mm. left in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, he would, he would spare it. And it's, it's beautiful to read that in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 32. But when I'm really looking at this understanding of, of righteousness here, you know, this lack of righteousness, it reminds me that the whole context of the book of Isaiah is actually using words that God had used well and truly in the book of, of, of Exodus. Uh, if you come to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 15, it says, The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea with a scorching wind. He will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. So there's this concept of wind. There's this mm. concept of dry land, just like we see in Genesis chapter 1. And, and Dr. John Pauline actually talks about how these words are used over and over and over all the way through the Old Testament to connect the prophecies with the people's experience and remind them that if they don't follow through mm. with surrendering that pride and arrogance, that they're going to have to go through these dry sea experiences over and over again. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, there, we do see a lot in God's word there. Um, let's keep reading on. There's so much in this passage, um, but let's read on. Let's read verses 15 through to 16 here and notice some of the ways that God describes here uh, some of those judgments that we're talking about. Verse 14, uh, sorry, verse 15, we read, uh, everyone uh, who is found will be thrust through and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Uh, Terry, this is really strong language uh, as we deal with Scripture and how it describes judgment on wicked people groups. Uh, I want to throw the question to you and ask you uh, how, you know, with this strong language that, he, that is put here, um, does this mean that in the judgments of Babylon, there were innocent people that were being um, you know, judged in this case. You kind of mentioned there a little bit about Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I don't think that God ever judges innocent people falsely because God is a God of righteous judgment. You and I, Blair, we, we make judgments every day. Even as we're driving down the road through the middle of Sydney, through the middle of New South Wales, there are people that cut us off and we make instant judgments about who they are. And quite normally, they're not pleasant judgments. <laughs> Whereas God judges us by knowing what's on the inside, you know, what's happening in our hearts. And he sees beyond, right? So in his mercy, in his grace, he knows who has actually given his heart or their heart over and those that haven't. And we see that again in the book of, uh, of Genesis when we're looking at Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. Clearly, it's articulated uh, as to who was allowed to leave the city. He made a way for Lot and his family to actually escape the destruction. And God will always make a way for those who are willing to listen to his guidance to step out of the potential destruction that's mm. coming their way. And that, I think that's really important for us to consider and remember as we approach difficult passages of Scripture as they deal with quite, uh, you know, God ha does have firm judgment on wickedness because of the effect that it has on humanity. It separates us from Him, which of course, uh, as the object of His supreme regard, He wants to be connected to us. And so things that separate us from Him, He deals with uh, quite harshly. But it, it's important to, to remember here, Terry, as you've brought out, that God doesn't, uh, God is a fair judge. 
Yeah. Uh, all his judgments are fair and he provides opportunity uh, for innocence to come out. He does that, as you mentioned, through Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Rahab was allowed out of Jericho. He makes a way out for, God's, for, for people who, who seek to follow him. Now, let's read on and have a look here as we, uh, well, we've been reading through these judgments. I want to throw the question, this one I'm going to take to you, Gilberto. Um, this is the, we're talking here about the judgment of Babylon. How did the city of Babylon finally come to an end, uh, ultimately, when it did receive the judgment of God? Well, uh, <clears throat> Scripture is very clear about that. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, <clears throat> verses 17 to 22, uh, it says, Be- Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, will not regard silver, and as for gold, they will not delight in it. So it's very interesting because, Mm. in other words, there will be no bribery here. (laughs) It's very clear. Also, their bars will dash the young men to pieces, and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children, and Babylon the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it, uh, will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there but will wild beasts of the desert will lie there and their houses will be full of owls, ostriches will dwell there and wild gods will caper there. The hyenas will howl in their citadels and jackals in their pleasant palaces. Her time is near to come and her days will not be prolonged. Mm. So God foretold that the Medes would be raised up to overthrow Babylon. And this is exactly what happened. In the year 539 BC, Cyrus the Persian captured Babylon from the Medo-Persian Empire, leading to the fall of the Babylonian Empire. And he eventually abandoned uh, the abandonment of the city of Babylon. Mm. Daniel 5 recounts this story and finishes with the verses in uh, Daniel 5, 30, 31. I don't know if you want me to mm. read it. Yeah, well, I've got the text here. It says yeah. in Daniel chapter 5, verse 30 and 31, it yeah, says please read it. Um, that uh, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Mm. So we just see just such a dramatic fulfillment of Scripture here uh, that God says that the Medes will be raised up, will we'll judge Babylon, and the nation of Medo-Persia comes and does that very thing. Uh, now, living, just I want you to come with me and our viewers as well, just to imagine for a moment we're living at the height of Babylon. Babylon is the most powerful nation in the whole region, uh, and you know it just seems like it's impenetrable. And yet, uh, this this passage of scripture is written to Babylon is about Babylon. Uh, and I want to throw this question to you, Terry. Um, for someone who's living at the height of Babylon, as they read these words in Isaiah 13, they would probably think that they're foolish, 
uh, they're silly, uh, they could never come to pass, yeah. and yet we've just read that they come to pass. I, I think, you know, what lessons are there for us in that? I think, Blair, it's very important to recognize that some of the things that look impossible are always possible in God's plan, right? And when we're looking at prophecies, some of the prophecies seem outlandish, and yet they always come to pass, but maybe not in the way that we originally thought that they would. And when we're looking at this particular prophecy, we have to remember that it's written around the year 700, so it's about 170 years before the prophecy comes about. And if we're living at the height of of the Babylonian Empire, which would be around the year 580, 590, Ezekiel would have been reading these prophecies. Mm. Ezekiel himself would have been shocked by Mm. by how uh, damning the prophecies were. And he's looking around and thinking, there's no way that this can actually happen, except for by faith. And when you read Ezekiel in line with Isaiah, you start to recognize that that hundred years in between really goes by very, very quickly. And the prophecies come about in Mm. a way that the people of Israel weren't even prepared for. Ezekiel and Daniel had to remind them, these things will occur. Mm. And when they occurred, they were able to give praise to the Lord. And we have to remember that as well. There are prophecies in the book of Daniel and Revelation about the last days Mm. that seem improbable, that seem overwhelming, particularly when it comes to who's going to be in power, what kind of religious authority there will be. It seems like it it can't possibly be uh, according to today. But this reminds us that God's will always comes to pass. Wow, I think that's such an important lesson because uh, as, as we do when we approach Scripture, sometimes when Scripture seems far-fetched or difficult to understand how it could come to pass, we start to use our own minds to reason uh, and to try to fit it into our own understanding and we try to mold God into our own image. But, uh, but God's Word comes to pass every time and so such an important lesson. Uh, let's move on here. We've got uh, the judgment of Babylon here in, in Isaiah 13. Uh, Babylon is judged, we see. And then in Isaiah 14, uh, we find that uh, it frees God's people in mm-hmm. verses 1 to 3 there. We won't take the time to read it all here today. Uh, but then uh, we have a section here in Isaiah 14, uh, verses from about 4 through to the um, 23-ish, uh, where we have um, the this this image or this taunt, I guess you could say, to the the king of um, Babylon because he's going to fall, this figurative taunt. Uh, And we read some interesting passages as we read through that. I want to highlight one of those passages for us. Revelation, uh, sorry, not Revelation, Isaiah 14, uh, verses 12 to 14. Let's read through together here. Uh, We see um, God's word says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, How you are cut down from the ground, you who weakened the nation. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Mm. Uh, Gilberto, I want to throw this one to you. Could these passages here be speaking of uh, the king of Babylon? No, in a sense, they do apply to the king of Babylon. But Isaiah here draws a comparison between the fall of the king of Babylon with the fall of Lucifer. Mm. That is in heaven when he rebelled against God and sought to elevate himself above God. Yeah, I think that's that's um, that's such an important lesson. And I think uh, as we as we look at this, we can start to learn some principles about how 
Satan himself, Lucifer, as that text identified him, uh, which was the name God gave him mm-hmm. when God created Satan. He didn't create Satan, he created Lucifer uh, and Lucifer rebelled. But we see here some insights into how Satan's mind works. Yeah. Uh, and I want to throw this one to you, Terry. Um, what do we learn about the principles of Satan's kingdom from these, these texts that we've just read here? I love the fact that when you're reading through this particular section, how often it's referring to I, mm. right? So uh, I will raise my throne. I will sit enthroned. I will ascend. I will make myself like the most high. In direct contrast is when Jesus is talking about us, our, you know, our kingdom or God's kingdom, not about him. Clearly, the difference that we have here is Satan's full attention is on himself. Mm. How can I make myself more exalted? And I think we see that in day-to-day life. I I love following um, soccer in England, and Mm. my favorite team is Liverpool. And they've won the championship for the first time in 30 years this year, Blair. And, you know, for (laughs) an old man like myself, it was a lot of fun to actually see them win. But the moment that they won... They, uh, they won as a team, mm. but then all of a sudden the accolades were about the special players, the yes. ones who were truly amazing. So uh, Mohammed Salah, you know, he gets all of the accolades. It's about him. And they start to believe that it's about them. They start to believe that they're bigger than the team. And this is the temptation that every single one of us has. Whether we're in church, whether we're at work, whether we're in our family, we start to think, I'm the firstborn, therefore I'm a little bit more important. I should get maybe a little bit more of the inheritance that my parents have given me. All of this falls back to the very first thing that Satan went through, Lucifer went through, when he started to believe that he should be in the place of God. Mm. He should actually be sitting by God's side and Jesus should be cast aside. This is a challenge for each one of us. It, it is. And it's, uh, you know, these, these you, you drew out that idea there of I, 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 self, selfishness being at the core of Satan's, you know, the way Satan operates. Um, and and he, he, he seeks to elevate himself, put himself up, up and above. Uh, Gilberto, I want to throw this one to you. Uh, according to Isaiah, what happened to Satan when he sought to elevate himself, to put himself above uh, in a higher position? What happened to him? Well, that's very interesting when I think of our Lord who uh, went down to the realm of the dead for us. And now Isaiah tells us that Satan shall be brought down to that realm of the dead to the lowest depths of the pit. Mm. And uh, Ezekiel confirms this truth in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17. Mm. Yeah, you know, this, this, this process of Satan trying to elevate himself to put himself up ends up, uh, verse 15 there tells us, if you pointed out, in him being lowered, in him being brought down. Yeah. Uh, and this, this, is, this shows us something about uh, the principles of Satan's kingdom. Elevating self, putting self above uh, is, is not a safe course of action. Uh, but in contrast to the principles of Satan's kingdom, we see that Jesus, as you pointed out, offers on, operates on such different principles. I want to read to you a text here from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. Uh, we're going to read here to just get a glimpse of how Jesus operates and see this contrast. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 says this, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself Mm. and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Wow. 
this <laughs> this gives us a quite a different picture uh, of the you know we see Jesus operating on far different principles than uh, the principles that Satan was operating on, uh, and where Satan was brought down, we see Jesus here humbling himself with his own accord. Uh, and I want to throw this one to you also, um, uh, Gilberto. And I want to ask you, what does this teach us about the ki- principles of God's kingdom mm. in contrast to uh, the principles of Satan's kingdom? Well, God's kingdom is it's a, a world of a kingdom of selflessness. Mm. And it also tells me uh, when I looked uh, at the story of redemption that God was thinking, <clears throat> I cannot live without you. And so he does its utmost best to, mm. to save us because love, real love, says, I cannot live without you. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's so true. And um, I just think it's, it's, we could dwell on Christ for mm. this whole program and many more, and we do, um, because of the beauty that we see demonstrated in his character as he lowered himself, as he lowered himself. And then in verse 9 there, uh, we see... Uh, I'll read it here for us. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And we see Mm. that, in fact, as Jesus humbles himself, he ends up being exalted uh, and, and, and God raises him up because of his humility. Just in direct opposition to Satan raising himself and then being lowered. Uh, and Terry, I wanted to throw this one to you and ask you, what, what are some of the letter, lessons that we can learn, you know, as we study scripture, as we see these, this clear contrast between the principles of God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom? What are some of the lessons that we can learn here? Yeah, I think the first one is a recognition that uh, as Satan was lifting himself up, he was cast down. And the second one is that as Jesus lowered himself, he was raised up high. And he says in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, the greatest amongst you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then he goes on to give the seven woes to the Pharisees. And what he was saying to them was that you guys are always exalting yourselves above those who really need to be lifted up from the gutter that they're living in. And, and if you want to be part of God's kingdom, it's never about the title. So mm. you may be nominated to be an elder in your church. Mm. It's only for a year. And at the end of that year, you may be asked to go back to being a member of the church. Praise the Lord. You actually are able to take the information that you learned over the course of that year and use it to God's glory and the building of God's kingdom. And it's the same thing for all of us. Uh, as long as we are humble, the Lord will always raise us up when he sees fit. Mm, I love that point that you made there, especially as we look at Jesus, uh, we see he put into practice this thing in his very ministry. You know, we see Jesus uh, seeking to wash the feet of those who are around him. We see Jesus um, not elevating himself, but putting himself in lower positions to serve. Uh, And really, this is the path of a Christian, isn't it? This is the challenge of a Christian to follow Jesus, to build our lives on the principles of his kingdom and not the principles of Satan, of self-elevation and these sorts of things. Uh, Now, Gilberto, I want to throw to you. We see uh, an important description of God's faithful people at the end of time, uh, and they have a special characteristic. What is this characteristic? Well, it says in uh, Revelation 14, verse 4, these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever mm. He goes. 
So there's no substitute for, for God or for Christianity, according to this. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? To follow mm. the lamb wherever he goes, to take Christ's principles of selflessness and to live a life in servitude to him. Well, gentlemen, we want to thank you for joining us. It's been a great study. In a world plagued with sin and selfishness, pride, uh, God is calling for his faithful people to follow Christ and to walk the path of humility. Very soon he'll return again for all of those who are waiting for him and usher in an age of eternal peace. Will you follow the lamb wherever he goes today? We're glad you joined us today and we hope this program was a blessing to you. You can watch it again or any of our previous programs on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Teachers can download study notes there. You can email us on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Please join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.